Welcome to Booked, where two guys tell you about the books they're reading. I'm Rob Olson. And I'm Livia Snedden. Uh, this week's book is uh, is called The Rapist. It's by author Les Edgerton. Uh, we've been looking forward to this one for a while, haven't we? Oh, yeah, yeah. Les has been on our radar for quite some time, yeah. Nor at the bar, too. Boom. So, A little bit about Mr. Edgerton. Um, Les Edgerton has published 15 books, the latest being two novels from Stonegate, Inc., the noir thriller Just Like That, the thriller The Perfect Crime, the short story collection Gumbo Yaya from Snubnose Press, and his latest, the noir thriller The Bitch from Bare Knuckles Press. His most popular book is the writer's text Hooked, write fiction that grabs readers at page one and never lets them go. His own favorite is his collection titled Monday's Meal, which received a glowing review from the New York Times in which he was compared favorably to Raymond Carver. His novel The Bitch was a finalist in the Snubnose Magazine Best Novel in the Legends category and was the winner of the Best Novel in the 2011 Predators and Editors Award. His first novel, The Death of Tarpons, was awarded a special citation from the Violet Crown Book Awards. Um, that Predators is spelled that way, right? That's not the correct spelling for Predators? No. Okay. I just want to make it's sure. like editor with a P-R. Right. Like a gotcha. PR. Yeah, okay. I think. That's, I stumbled on that a little bit. Yeah. yeah. But uh, uh, anything you want to say about the author bio? Um, you know, this is kind of a little bit of a longer author bio. Uh, I was going to say that it's short compared to what is on Amazon, which is essentially like eight more paragraphs of pretty much everything you'd ever need to know about Les Edgerton. <laughs> Since all, Rob had started on the notes and was still kind of working on this front part when I hopped on. So I look and I, I kind of read the first paragraph and then there's a little thing, you know, talking about where you could find um, Les. And I read that and I go, oh my God, this keeps going. So I go to Rob, I go, man, this is really long. And I... As I'm asking Rob questions, Rob's like, yeah, just keep reading. It's in there. I asked him something else about the author. He's like, no, no, just keep reading. It's in there, too. And I look. And it was, what, like a good solid page and a half, like 11-point font? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Wow. Um, it's essentially everything you need to know about Les Edgerson. So if he ever comes out with a biography or autobiography, no one's going to buy it because they're just going to read his author bio on Amazon, and <laughs> it'll be pretty much the same thing. There you go. Rob, tell us a little bit about um, about The Rapist. All right. Uh, the Rapist is uh, an unauthorized biography of football player Ben Roethlisberger. Oh, no, I'm sorry. Hang on. Bad joke. For, for long-time listeners, that goes back to, wow, back to the early days. Episode 18 and 19 when we reviewed ZB&B and then had David James Keaton on for an interview. Anyway. <sighs> yeah, that's good. If Keaton was here, he'd be... He'd be laughing or he'd be making a better joke, one of the two. Uh, but anyway, back to the book that we're talking about tonight, The Rapist. Uh, it introduces us to Truman Ferris Pinter. We didn't really ever land on what that pronunciation was for the last name, but I'm going to go with Pinter. Uh, an amoral man occupying a prison cell for a heinous crime committed years earlier. Master storyteller Les Edgerton guides us on a haunting journey inside the criminal mind to show that no matter how depraved a person appears to be, there might still exist a spark of humanity. I'm afraid that we're not going to be able to talk about very much of this book, um, which is a shame because I think it's very discussion worthy. Uh, but it's uh, there are just some things we could ruin if we go past the first 60, 70 pages. Maybe Rob? Yeah, I mean, it's pretty short anyway. Um, I think it clocks in on the high end, maybe like 160 or so. So it's I not a very I believe that's book. what it's listed out at. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so. Yeah, got to keep it pretty lean, but uh, 
I mean, we'll start at the beginning. The book kicks off with, uh, uh, obviously, it's a first-person perspective from um, Truman's perspective. He's in jail, and he's basically telling us about uh, why he's in jail. And uh, it involves the first scene kind of is him traveling on his way to his house in the town he lives in, and he uh, happens to discover what's described as a gangbang but um, really, it's just a bunch of people boning uh, in in like the woods, kind of off the path that he usually rides his bike on. Um, Did it didn't quite meet your standards. <laughs> well, you know, it's 2013 now, and like <laughs> I think that the standards, the stakes in a gangbang have been risen, has been rising over the years. At least, like my understanding of of what a gangbang would be. Um, you can't have a gang of three people, is what I'm saying. Um, yeah, well, yeah, I, I don't know if there's an actual definition for, maybe there is, maybe we should look that up and see if there's an actual <laughs> number and do some research on this, on this here. Um, yeah, so he, he witnesses what essentially is, is the town slut, somebody he recognizes from a bar along with some other patrons having sex in the woods. Um, at this point, actually, I want to take a step back because he's recounting this from, we already know where he's at, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So he's in prison. And it's uh, it's the night before he's going to be executed, and he's kind of recounting his tale to us. Um, he witnesses this uh, this this gangbang, and the next day he's at his local fishing hole and is approached by uh, by this woman. And from there, um, Truman commits commits a crime. He he rapes this woman, and he goes on to explain to us his his thoughts on that. Mm-hmm. And the one thing I'd like to point out. Uh, uh, is that the entire book is from his perspective. So it's one of those kind of unreliable narrator situations because he's telling us about the crime that he committed, which he's very open and, and unapologetic about. He, he admits to what he's done wrong. But at the same time, um, when he explains the circumstances surrounding it, you still have to think, is that really how, you know, objectively the crime went down? You know, that type of thing. At least that's what I was thinking. Um. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I agree. I don't want to obviously belittle the situation. He does indeed, even in his own, even by his own definition, for for anybody reading it, he rapes this woman. In his mind, he doesn't necessarily see it that way, so he doesn't feel terribly guilty about it because his explanation kind of justifies what happened. Yeah, if that makes yeah. sense. Mm-hmm. So you know, like I said, not the. It's, he's certainly not. His even his character isn't isn't glorifying rape. Um, he's just very matter of factly about what happened and, and what led to, to this to the circumstances to surrounding this crime. So he takes us through um, you know parts a little bit of the trial and uh, basically it's a man in his last night and, and what his his plan is for his final hours before his inevitable execution. Yeah, yeah. We you learn at the very beginning that he's essentially been convicted of not only raping but also killing this woman mm-hmm. although he contests the murder uh conviction um well verbally like he accepts that they you know he got convicted of it but he he says they were wrong about it uh and um yeah like livia said he's basically in his last like 12 hours or so in prison before mm-hmm. he's executed and um he's going through uh you know what happened then what's happening in the present time but then also kind of reflecting on life a little bit at the same time Hey, did you, I don't think it ever really addresses, like, what year this takes place in. Did you get the feeling it was a little older timey than? 
than like you know, 2013. Yeah. yeah I, yeah, I'm not really sure if it actually ever yeah went into detail about that, but it felt like it was like set in like maybe the early 1900s or something like that. Yeah, I mean, I was gonna go a little later than that, but yeah, to me, it felt very much like a 50s, 60s, you know. Like there's a there's a thing in it. Like there's the part where the um, the prisoner Truman it explains to us how he gets to choose between a firing squad and and hanging. Right. Which I thought was. Uh, was kind of fascinating that and i don't know if i didn't do any research but i wonder if there's actually a state that currently or ever let you pick your method of mm, yeah that's a good point also well i mean the electric chair existed though so that'll probably put kind of a time stamp on it oh yeah now I that I think that's true it. yeah um, i didn't think about that either so but uh yeah and then yeah, well the thing that can the thing that makes it feel older i think is um another thing <laughs> this is actually all right, another thing um, that kind of gives it that older feel is the fact that he feels he's a, he's rich. He's independently wealthy, I guess, or at least, you know, well off enough where he doesn't have to worry about money. And so he feels superior to everybody. Uh, well, at least superior to the people that he is, like, financially superior to. And so uh, the way he carries himself, he's a, you know, graduate of an Ivy League school and feels that he's superior to lots of people. So he carries himself in a very, like... Um, almost like royalty in a way, mm-hmm. which kind of makes me feel like it, you know it gives it that older kind of feel as well. That's true. I got the impression he just felt superior to everybody because he was uh, smarter than them. Was kind of how I how I took it. I didn't yeah. necessarily think it had to do so much with his his money, but he's portrayed as a very very intelligent character to the point that he's um, socially awkward, possibly due to his intelligence. Yeah. He reminded me a little bit, and I know this is the second time I'm saying it this year. Um, he he reminded me a little bit of um, oh, okay, I can't think of his name now. Um, uh, Caulfield, Holden Caulfield from uh, oh, Catcher yeah. in the Rye. A little bit, a little bit like when we talked about um, Craig Wahlberg's Sound of Loneliness. Yeah, I could see that. Well, I mean, yeah, and it's that type of all right. It's more of a literary book um, when. Uh, when I started reading this again, I didn't read the uh, synopsis. Not that there's a lot there, but um, before I started reading, and I expected it to be kind of crimey and noirish, and and not necessarily as noirish as crimey, I guess. But um, uh, it's very literary, um, and I think that reading the introduction at the beginning of the book was very helpful to kind of get me in the right mindset, mm-hmm. because uh, yeah, it's definitely not what I was expecting from. Uh, the personal what we read in the Noir de Part Two anthology. It's very, very literary. And, I mean, it's dark and everything. It's got, obviously, some very, very serious and dark subject matter, but it's it's not, like, you know what I'm saying? I'm trying to think of the word. Like, it's not your typical crime novel dark. It's dark in a, in a more literary and, I don't know, more literary way. Yeah, and that's where I think this book really shines is um, Truman's character is uh, especially his outlook on the world and the people around him i think is to me what really made this book uh, uh, you know a, a very solid read um kind of has no shame in in talking about anything at this point as he's leaving us as you know kind of parting words <laughs> but man he just has nothing nice to say about anybody and it's just <laughs> goddamn hilarious yeah he looks down on and pretty much hates almost everybody that's mentioned in the book. Mm -hmm. Um, He has no good memories of his parents, 
uh, really doesn't have any friends. The people that he interacts with in the book, he's all pretty much better than all of them and, and everything, with the exception of uh, one thing, which I really can't talk about because I think it's, I don't even think it's that spoilery, but, you know, it's a moment that's nice to be discovered without, you know, any kind mm-hmm. of foreshadowing. Can I read you a little a, a portion of, I think, surmises kind of what makes it really funny and, yeah. and, and kind of how he feels about his mom? He mentions it a couple of points throughout the book, how his mother would rock him constantly and how he hated it. <clears throat> I can recall one time in particular when I was being rocked to the point of nausea and thinking I would like to reverse the situation and subject her to endure 24 hours nonstop of discreetness torture. But being only six at the time <laughs> of the thought and not physically able to carry out this wish could only hold it against her for the rest of my life. Yeah, that was excellent. <laughs> the whole like it would have been fine and then he added that whole could only hold it against her the rest of my life it was mm-hmm. just brilliant very so I like uh but yeah that's kind of he's he's very wordy um but in a really really good way oh yeah yeah um so here's the thing we uh last week reviewed lords of salem is that correct no i'm sorry last week we reviewed donnybrook yeah and Donnybrook, um, what did we say? We started, we had expectations it was going to be one thing, yeah. turned into something completely different. Here we go again, two weeks in a row, blown away by the direction this book took. Yeah, I agree. Um, but like in a good way, again, in a very good way. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And that's, I, I don't, I think that, you know, I did read the synopsis um, only because this book was on our radar for a long time now since, since we reviewed Noir at the Bar 2. And it was like, this guy, he's a rapist, you know, and, and, and will he, you know, will you be able to find a spark of humanity in him? I mean, it's a very short synopsis. And I pictured like big thuggish, you know, knife to the throat in an alley, multiple rape victims. You know what I mean? I, I pictured a very dirty, crimey thing that took place like on the same set as The Wire. This is what I had in my head and totally not what I expected. But even when I got into it, halfway through the book... I'm still thinking it now. I've, I've got the handle. I know what direction it's heading in, and then bam, it just goes in a whole different, a whole different direction. Yeah, um, which Livius had basically read the entire book before I got started. I had just been, you know, busy week kind of, so I, I started it um, and read it in two different sittings, and uh, I had gotten to a certain point, and I told Livius, and he's like, "Oh, yeah." get ready it's gonna get really weird and um without fail within like a chapter or two of of where i was it just took a turn that like i don't think anybody could have expected especially with the tone of the book and um yeah the way it was written i didn't expect that to to go that way at all and here's the thing this is where we almost had we have to stop talking about plot um and and the reason is and like i said this this didn't really take away anything from the book it it definitely changed the book i was very happy with truman and just being inside his head uh what i thought was great for the first half of the book now he says it's 160 pages so we talk about 80 pages it's about 80 pages we can't talk about so uh, i think we're gonna back off on on plot unless there's anything else you want to add about it rob no i think that's good um we'll probably give you a better overall uh, idea in our in our Mm wrap-ups But I think as far as just introducing basically what the story is about, that's, yeah, that's really where we got to put the brakes on. Do you want to move in to do some quotes? I've got some really good quotes I'd love to. Good. I already I already snuck one in, so uh, I'll let you take this uh, this next one. 
<laughs> this is, I mean, this is only contextually funny and, and as a quote by itself, it doesn't really stand uh, too, you know, too much on its own. But um, this is pretty much a good introduction at the very beginning of the book of, of the thought process of Truman and the way that uh, the, the book is written and how he speaks and everything. This is where he's um, on his bike going through this path when he's about to, to run across the, quote, gangbang. Is it not on the smaller trails that we sneak up on the truth? Such has been my experience. Man, you hit the on your first one. That was that was one of mine. I had bookmarked too. I thought that was just absolutely fantastic. Yeah, yeah. All right. This next one um, talks a little bit about his uh, his father's from the same page as that first quote I snuck in. I have but fond memories of him, and hope that someday we may meet again under circumstances more pleasurable than I find myself in at present. Perhaps on the morrow we will shake hands man to man if we are to believe our zealous Christians and their mawkish folklore as to what transpires after earthly death. As for me, I pretend not to know what lies ahead. I certainly don't have the headstrong surety God's lambs possess. Yeah. There's that judgmental <laughs> thing coming through. Mm-hmm. I'm going to throw two out just back to back. This is uh, in prison. He's thinking about... Uh, the fact that he's in jail because of the the rape and everything that happened along with that this could be <laughs> this could be a runner up for an even more succinct synopsis of the book this first quote that I'm going to do i didn't masturbate that day and as a result i sit here preparing to die i was like that sums it up buddy <laughs> i have the rest of that paragraph highlighted too just f <laughs> all the way to the end um almost all the way to the end i guess yeah uh. Because like the second part is the, the end of that paragraph, which is, mm-hmm. so be thankful that there are doers in the world, both yours and mine, and that everyone is not a simpering, passive creature such as you. Yeah. Now he's talking to us, the reader, I think. So mm-hmm. yep. what a dick. <laughs> <laughs> Here's one I just found, uh, you know, very thought-provoking, I guess is the right word for it. To suffer the vicissitudes of memory is the desperate and shallow act of lesser men, those unfortunate enough to be burdened with a mind empty of weightier thought. Nice. Mm-hmm. You want to know what he has to say about wives? Or fishing? <laughs> Dude, can I just say something? <laughs> say what you're going to say about fishing, because I actually have a note in there um, that isn't so much a highlighted passage, it's just a note I made about fishing. <laughs> A fish is an excellent substitute for, say, a wife. The piscatorial species accepts instruction with good humor and and practiced stoicism, two fine qualities never discovered in any but the rarest of the female species. I love that. Um, (laughs) You know what else I love? His whole concept on fishing is just fantastic, okay? Because he goes out to fish, and and he sits there. Hoping not to catch anything, because if he catches anything, it just creates a lot of work. He's got to like clean this fish and gut it and cook it. So he's kind of there for the for the peacefulness. I just love that he fishes, hoping not to <laughs> not to catch anything. Right. <laughs> um, I'm gonna I'm gonna read two quotes back to back because they're short and they're both uh, they're both about the the woman the that is raped by Truman. She hooted again, giving the mice heart attacks for miles around. That's yeah, just, just absolutely great. <laughs> I like the whole thing that surrounds that, where uh, he doesn't like loud sounds, mm-hmm. and really, that's kind of what set him off on the whole attack. Was that uh, um, she started screaming about something, and it like just totally wigged him out. 
Um, this next one is probably, quite possibly, the most controversial statement in the whole book. Um, the woman was a common whore and not capable of being raped. Yeah, yeah. And I didn't, you know, I didn't, I didn't want to do that one, but I thought it really kind of summed up because I knew in my head that I wanted to talk about how, you know, he raped this woman, but his justification of it led him to believe he didn't do such a terrible thing. And obviously there are some things that lead up to the rape that, that inspire that. And as Rob kind of mentioned, you know, the loud noises and there's a, a series of other events that occur. But uh, yeah, that's his mindset. Like, you know, she's just a whore. She can't be raped. It's pretty nuts. Yeah. Um, I've got another one that uh, <laughs> this is just his. Uh, you don't want to like him because like he's very much an unapologetic rapist and he hates everybody and he's pretty much just very judgmental and he doesn't really have redeeming qualities but the way his mind or the mind you know the mind of the main character works is just fascinating like here's this quick quote uh 44 years ago i emerged from a womb into an existence i knew nothing about and it proved tolerable <laughs> um my next and final quote although i have many more um i'm just gonna throw out there because i i, I understand this and i i felt this way many times I'm going to break this up a little bit. Um, he's talking about uh, the, having total strangers approach him and say, say there, you shouldn't smoke those. They will kill you straight away. So he goes on to say what they were really saying was, look, I feel I am superior to you because I don't have that filthy habit, and I want you to be aware that I am not only better than you but infinitely more intelligent. You can die tomorrow for all I really care. Just recognize how vastly superior I am. Yeah, <laughs> my sentiments exactly to people who go, oh, you shouldn't smoke. Those are bad for you. As if maybe I've been living in a cave for 40 years and hadn't heard that before. Yeah, I knew that one. There was no way that that wasn't going to uh, <laughs> yeah, come up some at some point. <laughs> I, I think I have a couple more. Mm -hmm. Here's a couple that kind of tie in to each other and they, they have to do with his thoughts on religion and um, and stuff like that. Uh, this is the kind of hysteria you get when society begins to believe in the gods it has created. After a time, God begins to take on the worst qualities of humanity and to raise them to exalted new heights. All right. This is just like he's belittling the religion, but at the same time, just like trivializing it so much. It's, it's astonishing. They brought a Catholic priest by last week to talk to me. What a bore. If I were stupid enough to belong to any religion, organized or no, that would be the last one I'd choose. All that bead twisting and mumbo jumbo with the hands. I would think Catholicism to contribute greatly to the spread of arthritis. All that time on their knees, you know. Bad for the joints. <laughs> Especially love, I think that's the part where he goes on to point out that he made a joke and that he had yeah. a sense of humor. <laughs> yeah, directly after that, he's like, that was a joke. <laughs> And then there's one that actually um, I posted from uh, my iPad onto Facebook earlier today, um, which it, this has to do with uh, he was in an argument with uh, the warden of the prison, and they're going back and forth talking, and he's just dominating this warden in, in the conversation, and um, this is something that he thinks inwardly. He doesn't actually say it to the warden, but it's like he's saying it to him without actually speaking it. And you are looking out of hell, not into it, when your eyes lock with mine. It's pretty uh, intense stuff. This character is just fantastic. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. You don't expect to want to uh, 
I don't even think you ever end up liking him, but like, he's it's it's entertaining mm-hmm. to see his his, the, his life. Well, it, it's his life become so simple. Yeah, he's taken all of the the complex things that that trouble people every day, and he's broken them down in, into kind of really really simple matters. There's a there's a whole portion in here where he goes through, and it's probably two pages long. Um, kind of the 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 cycle of a single cell, and it's just yeah. really plain, simple, easy, you know, to follow. Just just really really brilliant stuff. Oh, I know what you're talking about. When uh, it starts out with the cell of a toenail or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yep. Brilliant. I mean, yep. yeah, it just fantastic, fantastically written. Um, you uh, about ready to wrap this up? Yeah, I I think so. Why don't you get it kicked off? Um. So, uh, here we have uh, some tough to talk about um, stuff. You know, it's, it's hard to to like somebody who's a rapist, but um, in some ways, for the reasons that we just talked about, I, I really enjoyed reading um, Truman Pinter, maybe Pinter, Pinter. Um, but uh, just his, his outlook on life, forget you know, the crime aspect aside, this book is well worth reading just for some of the really intelligent um, um, stuff, his outlook on things, um, God and the universe, you know, the, the single, the cycle of a single cell, um, the different things we talked about, you know, from the quote section, um, all really, really well done. Uh, the book takes a pretty hard twist uh, about halfway through, as I mentioned, which uh, <laughs> it did throw me off a little bit, um, but, but still wound up delivering a very, very interesting climax to the story. Uh, it's hard to say more about it than that, but um, you know, page to page, this was really, really a solid read, and it's gonna be four stars. All right. Yeah, this is a tough one to talk about. Um, so, uh, on the on the surface, you have a story about a guy who is commi- is convicted of a, a pretty terrible crime, and um, he stands apart from most people in as much as he. Do, doesn't feel bad about it. He feels that um, based on who he was, who she was, and the circumstances of the situation, maybe it wasn't necessarily justified, but he doesn't feel like he should be convicted and killed over it. Uh, so uh, he's very unrepentant. He's a very superior person, but he's just goddamn interesting the whole way through. Um, and that alone would make an interesting book. It would make it a must-read book because it's such a unique perspective uh, on a situation like that that it's worth reading. Um, but then the second part of the book, not part, but the second half where things take a twist happened, and we can't say anything about it because we shouldn't uh, if, if you're going to read this and, and fully enjoy it. But man, uh, that was like that was the part that really got me. Um, it was completely unexpected and uh, pretty awesome. And between the basic layout of the story and then what happens in the final half, and especially uh, the way that it ends, um, I'm just going to call it a must-read for pretty much anybody. I thought it was really good at, at making you think about things and um, making you approach uncomfortable situations you usually wouldn't talk about. Um, but just making you think about things in general more than an average book would. And then it just throws in all that crazy stuff that happens in the last half. And it was just really, really good. So I, 
Uh, I'm going to do four and a half stars for this. I really, really dug this book. Very enjoyable read. Yeah, good stuff, Les. Um, some of you might remember A Streetcar Not Named Desired. Uh, I'm sorry, Not Named Desire, one of my uh, favorite stories from <laughs> Noir at the Bar 2. I just can't get a first <laughs> note. I'm not going to read the note. <laughs> but it was... Uh, it was uh, two crooks, two two bumbling, you know, idiot crooks grew up two different heists. I love that story, and that's uh, so I said this has been on our radar since then. Uh, wanted to read more or less Edgerton, and I think the I think we got the payoff this week. Yeah, I'm thankful we did. This is a, uh, you know, it's a controversial title that made me kind of nervous about you know the idea of reading it, but in the end, really glad we did. Yeah, it's weird how you can take um, like such a such a tough subject you know and, and you'd think it would be unbearable to read or you know and, and it just it really wasn't you no, know yeah. it, you know there's some things that kind of challenge challenge your sensibilities along the way but um it was handled well enough that it wasn't you know gratuitous in any way yeah and that's the thing i think that like um it's necessary in any art form to kind of push the barriers um and I'm sure a lot of people do, and a lot of people fail at it. And this is definitely not one of those instances. I think that Edgerton took a very sensitive subject, especially in our very politically correct, uh, very sensitive time we live in. And he wrote a book around it in a way that was, you know, kind of redeeming more than it was. Not redeeming to a rapist, but like redeeming as art and literature mm -hmm. uh, than a lot of people could have made happen. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm surprised that his his uh, his most popular book is actually a writing book, like a, a, a how-to book, nonfiction, yeah. educational. So, well, I'll tell you what. Um, the title of that book is "Write Fiction That Grabs Readers at Page One and Never Lets Them Go," mm -hmm. and I think that he probably listened to his own advice for the rapist. One would hope. Yeah. If his writing is any example, I'd say it's probably worth a read. Oh, other stuff, other stuff we have going on. <laughs> um, we should probably address that um, we're recording on yet another holiday. Yeah, happy Easter. Do you yeah, celebrate? I, no. No. <laughs> no, I don't. <laughs> and and if and when I might, um, it would be uh, European Orthodox Easter, um, which is in like four weeks. Yeah. I, I, I think that if people ask me uh, if I celebrate holidays from now on, I'm just going to respond that I know people that do because it's pretty much the same thing. Like if you know someone like everybody's got a grandma that wants you to come over for Easter dinner. So in yep. um, as much as I have a grandmother, I celebrate mm -hmm. Easter. Dude, just tell them yes. I celebrate every holiday by recording another episode of book. <laughs> that's right. Because that's I celebrate how, how it works. The best way I know how by creating awesome book related content. So today's Easter. Do you know what tomorrow is? Uh... Oh my lord! Even a better holiday, the biggest holiday, if you if you ask me. April Fool's Day. Yeah, which uh, coincidentally <laughs> uh, is the two year anniversary of uh, the launch of this fine podcast. Yes, yes. Two years ago, Rob and I were recording. Well, it was probably a little over two years ago. I think it took like it took like a week making sure that episode was as good as you could get it. But um, <laughs> yeah, April first, um, two thousand eleven, was the inaugural um, book podcast episode, and. Uh, God, how time flies, man. I can't believe it's been two years. It's pretty crazy. Two years. This is the 140th episode. And um, I will be working diligently. We're recording it on the night before, but I'll be working diligently to make sure this goes up on our two-year anniversary. 
that is very very um, awesome of you. Happy anniversary, sir. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Thanks for uh, sticking around. Um, uh, do you know Do you know what the the traditional gift is for for second anniversary? No, but I'm pretty sure you're going to tell me. Cotton. Cotton, like a shirt. Cotton. I like just cotton, like like a ball of cotton. I have no idea. Well, anything that contains cotton, right? I guess, yeah. Well, that's the traditional. The modern one is China. I'm supposed to give you an entire country. They can manufacture. <laughs> they can manufacture all your favorite electronics right inside your home. Oh, I can't wait. That's a really good gift. But I'm not going to have anything to give you because there's not two Chinas. <laughs> that's correct. Um, I'll give you some cotton. Next year, leather. So get ready. Prepare for now. We're going to oh. have some leather next year. Anniversary three. <laughs> Wow. So, can I um, can I mm-hmm. circle back to want the gangbang really quick? <laughs> God damn it. <laughs> Wikipedia. I'm wrong. Uh, that's I have to admit that I'm wrong. Uh, <laughs> situation in which a person engages in consensual sexual acts with several individuals at the same time. Uh, rather, uh, hang on. Not defined by the precise number of participants, but usually involve more than three people. It may involve a dozen or more. So I was wrong. Sorry. Um, well, I think that people might get a little confused with the term gangbanger. Which, oh, yeah. Which like, just um, references... Being just, in a gang. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, I know that when I was much, much younger, because I grew up in a neighborhood where there were a lot of gangbangers, um, the, the violent kind... <laughs> That uh, that that term that terminology is a little confusing to me when I was like eleven, you know. So, oh, I'm sure the other gangbangers. There's been some violent ones of those too. That could be, could be. So, so, but I didn't want to offend any gangbangers out there of either sort. So I wanted to make sure that I set the record straight on that one. We're all about inclusion and diversity. That's right. Um, so oh, last year, if you remember, we had. Oh, I don't know, like 10 different people call us and wish us happy anniversary. Do you remember that? Um, I do. It was very heartwarming. The outreach was um, incredible. Do you know how many called in this year? <sighs> how many? One. We had one call. So I want to pause for a minute and let those other people think like, oh, man, we didn't call them on their birthday. Was it Was it number one fan Frank Edler? No, no. Frank's way too busy with his own podcast now to call and wish us a happy birthday. Was it other number one fan, Sean P. Ferguson? No, but he did leave us three messages last year, so you might have thought that might just last <laughs> us out for the fourth anniversary we'll be hearing from Sean. <laughs> All right, well, I give up. Who is it? Jedediah Ayers. Oh. The only person to call us for our two-year anniversary. Um, I don't even know. Should we, should we play it for the folks, or do you just want to keep it for our own personal enjoyment? Ah, might as well share it. All so right, we can well, sh- not for not for for the the listeners, but for the shame of everybody who did not call in. Well, here it is. Here's Jed Ayers. Hey, this is Jed Ayers calling to say happy two years of booked. That's amazing. Two years. I feel like I'm a little late to say happy first birthday, so I want to be the first to say two years, baby. Two years. Thanks. All right, so basically, if you didn't get the gist of that, that wasn't even from this year. He just called us like a month after our anniversary last year, I think after he heard the other phone calls. So, um, yeah, nobody called us. But <laughs> at least he had the, the good grace to spin it in a way that we could use it on our second anniversary show. 
It's very true. So thank you, Jed. We appreciate it. We've been, and that's the whole thing is you have to understand how much we love Jed. We've been sitting on this thing for like 11 and a half months. Yeah. <laughs> just waiting to use this, this call in <laughs> that we have. Um, that's how calculating we are. Yeah, so you know what the problem is? It's, it's modern society. You know, if we had our, our anniversary date on Facebook, we would have gotten like a million messages today. Um, yeah, that's a good point. Here, here. Five years ago on Easter, my phone would have been buzzing all day with happy Easter uh, text messages. Now, nothing. Today I got zero. Zilch. Nothing. Because everyone just goes on Facebook and goes, hey, happy Easter, everybody. And, uh, and it covers all of it. So, yeah, if we can put our anniversary date right on there where it would remind people, we'd get tons of well wishes from, from Facebook. Did you say every bunny? Yeah, I did. Yeah. That, see, I, and people I, on my Facebook, uh, it wasn't people saying, like, Happy Easter. It was just posting pictures of their kids doing stuff. Dude, Kevin Lynn Helmick shared a picture. It is the most horrifying. So there are those people who posted, <laughs> like, the Donnie Darko rabbit. Yeah. And uh, are you you're in front of your computer? Obviously, can you can you just go to Kevin Helmick's page? Here we go. Hang on. I closed Facebook so that we could record. Kevin Lynn Helmick. Oh my lord! <laughs> Is that not the most terrifying thing you've ever seen? Oh wow. <clears throat> I don't know how to how to describe this. Um, it, it's like it something looks, out of a Rob Zombie movie. Yeah, well, it looks like it's like from the original like Texas Chainsaw Massacre, but it's a it's a man um, in a in a suit w- with a big bunny head on, just your regular like uh, mall bunny head, dragging a woman into a doorway of what looks like an abandoned house, but it's like this grainy black and white photo. Pretty Everything terrifying. I saw today, this this affected me the most. <laughs> Kevin Lynn, Helmick, Kevin Lynn Helmick ruined your Easter. No, I thought it was awesome. The first thing I did was like screenshot, I cropped it, and put it in my photo album in my phone. So <laughs> if I ever want to be really disturbed, I could. Uh, oh I could man, just you mean that and... too? You did that? Yeah, yeah, I did. Wow. All right. So um, let's 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 credit the artist Elliot Lee Hazel of Los Angeles, California, is who's credited with that uh, that photo. So that might not be an old timey photo. That might just be something that this uh, this artist. Um, put together themselves. Wow. So, um, anyway. Oh, hey. Mm-hmm. Uh, talking about our two-year anniversary, um, and we shamed everybody for not not calling, right? Mm-hmm. I think we should give out our number for the apology calls. What do you think? Oh, this is a good idea. Yeah. So for everybody who's listening who uh, neglected to uh, have the forethought to tell us happy anniversary call in so we could put them on our podcast and make them famous, uh, feel free to call us to apologize. And uh, the number you can call us at is 773-599-1057. We'll give that out again in a second if you need to grab a pen and paper. You can call apologize or you can really call for whatever you'd like. So, Livius, before we started recording, Mm -hmm. uh, Livius told me that um, everybody who didn't call was dead to him. Yeah, pretty much. That's that, and you know what that means? It's everybody. It's like, it's like everybody, which takes away from my saying people are dead to me because they're all already dead to me now. Well, yeah, I think that you can you become not dead to you. Like, if the, can people redeem themselves? Well, I mean, here's the thing: if I said no on Easter of all days that someone could become not dead, oh, that's a good it point. Probably, it would probably be a very poor. Uh, you know, poor statement to make. So yeah, that's a good point. So of all the days that someone can resurrect themselves from the grave, 
That's right. That day. So redeem yourselves. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm going to give out that number one more time, 773-599-1057. Um, you know who didn't forget about us this week? Skip Papersley. Skip Papersley. Oh, that's right. So we had a very long conversation uh, on our last episode about how we haven't seen him in a while. Uh, he took it to heart. He came back and he brought us uh, a new book news. This is Book News. I'm Skip Papersley. Now for the news. The oddest book titles of the year competition was held this week and the winner is Goblin Proofing One's Chicken Coop. This beat out How Tea Cozies Changed the World, God's Doodle, The Life and Times of the Penis, and A Short History of Tractors in Ukrainian. Nowhere on the list was the quiddity of Will's self, even though Nicholas Royal called it an extraordinary odyssey of orgiastic obsession. There's already talk for next year's list, including Hot Tub Sweethearts Presents Two Guys Press, the booked anthology. In other news, James Pattison has stated he's giving up on writing traditional novels. He said, quote, They take too long to come out, and my audience needs something new from me every hour at least. He stated he'll begin his next novel on Twitter, including the edits. In an unrelated topic, Book News reporters discovered a career builder job posting for three tweet creators with the hiring manager of James Pattison. Now for the New York Times bestsellers and fiction recap. Breaking Point by C.J. Box is breaking away at number five. Number four is a cold spot for Maeve Binchy's A Week in Winter. James Patterson's run is running away from the competition at number three. My wife, Gillian Flynn, is a hot, hot lady. Mm. Gone Girl is number two. And finally, Jody Picoult is telling the story of success with Storyteller at number one. This has been Book News. I'm Skip Papacy, signing off. Oh, that guy just gets funnier and funnier every time. You know, I'm glad he took a little bit of a hiatus, because he'd be so funny by now that nobody <laughs> would even want to hear us anymore. <laughs> um, did you notice that he, uh, he gave some info about maybe some erroneous information about our, our book? Um, the the title of the publisher for our book is not going to be Hot Tub Sweethearts. Although or, that was in the running, or Two Guys Press. Yep. Yeah, that, <laughs> that that was that was in the running for uh, for a publisher name. So we should probably get back on that book thing, huh? Well, when we well, yeah, we should. But um, when we publish our first uh, collection of gangbang erotica fiction, Hot Tub Sweethearts is going to be the name of the uh, the publishing company that we use. This is awesome. Listen, I know a guy that can write that. Do you? Les Edgerton. <laughs> hey, Les. <laughs> when you're done writing serious literary fiction, um, how about you come on and just write some gangbang stories for us? Nice, nice. I'm sure there's a market for it. <laughs> well, what do you think about it? It's weird because we're in a very video-driven age. So you yeah. think there wouldn't be a market for, for erotica stories, books you know paper store but yeah i'm guessing there is surprisingly i'm sure there's plenty of market for that yeah i'm thinking is uh i wonder if the spine tingler awards have a category for best erotica gangbang fiction (laughs) if they do we're sweeping it next year well yeah with our collection hot tub (laughs) sweethearts present book ended oh there it is oh man we just end the show right there that's too good (laughs) No, no, because first we want to mention 
um, and we'll cover this probably over the next um, few episodes as uh, some of the categories are still rolling out, but our birthday comes with Spine Tingler Awards because this is the time of year that uh, that those uh, nominations roll out. That's right. Um, and just like last year, where if you remember correctly, pretty much every category had some friend or former guest of our show as one of the nominees for one of the categories, and many of the winners were also friends of Booked. Yeah, so we want to... Um throw out just a couple of names from each category these you could you could consider these suggestions for people you want to vote for um, in the category for um, best novel new voice um, we have a, a couple friends of the show um, Gordon Highland with his novel flashover which we reviewed last year no is it? yeah yes. last year yeah, around yeah. this time in May maybe yeah um, Kirby Gann who wrote Ghosting, and he appeared in uh, in one of our episodes from Noir at the Bar in um, Corydon, Indiana. Mm-hmm. And 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 now I know I know who Skip's voting for, Jillian <laughs> Flynn, um, wife of Skip Papersley for uh, for Gone Girl. Yeah, it's a uh, it's gonna be tough for. Well, I'm I'm interested to see how that turns out because. Um, on a national level, Gone Girl is a huge bestseller, but for the Spine Tingler Awards, I want to see how it fares uh, with the Spine Tingler uh, crowd. It'll be interesting. Yeah, it, it's very standout um, as the Spine Tingler Awards, from my familiar, usually don't go with like huge. I mean, this thing's number one for like months on end mm-hmm. on the New York Times bestseller list. So, yeah, it'll be interesting to see if this is a. If this becomes a blowout just due to. Um, you know, name recognizability of, of Gone Girl. Hey, maybe it's a little nepotism. They're putting it in there because they know that uh, skipped paper, Skip Papersley is unbooked. That you know what? That could be. Could be. Uh, <laughs> another category that's coming up that Livius and I argued about uh, beforehand is uh, the two, the the award for best novel for rising star slash legend, and um, the argument was around whether it's rising star. Or legend, which are two entirely different things, or if it's a rising star or a rising legend. But anyway, that's all just semantics. The couple names in here that are familiar to us. First of all, Roger Smith, uh, who we reviewed uh, Dust Devils like forever ago. His book mm-hmm. Dust Devils. Uh, we also have the book we reviewed, Dare Me by Megan Abbott, is on that list. Mm-hmm. Uh, what else we got, Liv? Well, I'm going to be casting my vote for Kings of Cool by Don Winslow, which I read not for the podcast, but uh, fantastic stuff. Very good. And some other recognizable names as well. Yep. Joe Lansdale. Joe Just Lansdale. Just wanted to throw that out there. He writes the Hap and Leonard stuff, and I'm always sad when he writes something that's not Hap and Leonard. And also, uh, Tom Piccarilli, who we talked about uh, not too long ago, um, because of his, there was a Kickstarter to help him with the health issues he was having. Um, his the last kind words is a, nom- a nominee, and from what I understand, the last update I saw about him and his health was that things were looking good, or at least looking better. So that's good to hear. Indeed, um, best novella, short novel, uh, Matthew C. Funk. A Woman and a Knife, which confused some people on the internet, apparently, who weren't aware that um, Mr. Funk had a novella out. Um, Rob, would you like to clarify? Yeah. Uh, for anybody who's interested in checking it out, uh, or for anybody who posted in the comments on the Spine Tangler page, 
that is part of the Uncle B's Drive-In Fiction collection of novellas that came out, uh, I think, mid middle 2012 or so. And it had stories by... Oh, let me grab my copy. Jimmy Calloway, Alex Cizak, uh C.J. Edwards, who was on the show uh, for Noir at the Bar, uh, Garnet Elliott, Matthew C. Funk, who was also on the show when we interviewed him, and booked favorite David James Keaton. So that's Uncle B's Drive-In Fiction. And Mr. Funk is going up against Driving Alone by Kevin Lynn Helmick, which I read and really, really enjoyed. So uh, uh, it's also been making some waves. It's been uh, reviewed quite a bit lately and keeps showing up in interesting places. Yeah, it's getting some serious coverage. Also on that list, Posthumous Man by Jake Hinkson. Uh, we recently reviewed his book, Hell on Church Street, and we loved it. So it uh, looks like it's stiff competition in that category. And that's just a few of the categories. I know there's at least three more. Um, voting begins sometime this week, I believe. Um, so go cast your vote for somebody we mentioned. <laughs> Notice I didn't say for your favorite, for someone we mentioned. That's right. Um, you know, because we tell you what to read and who to vote for, apparently. That's right. Rob, what else do we have? Uh, that's it. That's it. Yeah, we're good. <clears throat> For listeners wondering what our next episodes will bring for you, um, we're uh, in celebration of our two-year anniversary. We are going to do our best to bring you a couple of interviews for our next episode. So, um, on tap we have uh, you know tentative uh, interviews with Frank Bill, author of Donnie Brook and Crimes in Southern Indiana, and and Rob Utel, Brian Evanson, yes, uh, author of. Immobility, no. Lords of Salem, co-authored with Rob Zombie. He's <laughs> like the smaller name on the book. I think we know how that works. <laughs> yeah, pretty exciting stuff. And former guests of the podcast when we did the Warmed and Bound uh, sessions. Absolutely. So I'm very much looking forward to those. Um, and then after that, so here's what happens. Some of you will understand this. Currently, um, I'm reading... Craig Walworks to die upon a kiss but I have to put and stop reading that book so that I can read Monica Drake's book the stud book yeah 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 that's a, happening it's bookus interruptus Monica sorry Monica so sorry I have to stop halfway through Craig Walwork to read Monica Drake <laughs> oh it's so good it's so good. Hey, I want to mention something that is completely off topic, mm -hmm. and I didn't ask permission for it like I usually would. Uh, I was doing a little bit of math, and I thought I was going to get through our anniversary episode without dropping some statistics, but I decided to anyway. What the hell? Two years. We're doing whatever we want now. Um, it's only been three months in the year, right? And we promised that we were going to have more guests, right? Mm -hmm. uh, you know how many people we've had on the podcast uh, just I in could... 2013? I could guess, but I, yeah, I have no idea. Uh, not counting the people who did readings at uh, the Manarchy Magazine reading that we posted, mm -hmm. but just actual guests, either guest hosts or interviews, I think it's up to 13. Um, and then when you add in the people that were doing the reading, that's probably counting for la overlap um, 17, 18 people already, just this wow. uh, first three months. And we're looking wow. at two more just around the corner. So 
dude, that's crazy. Is this? Are you telling me I'm cut off? Like <laughs> I've delivered on my promise, and I can't. We can't do any more interviews because that's what I'm feeling here. No, I'm just saying that we should be very proud of that. Um, we we wanted to focus this year on having much more uh, guests and interviews, mm-hmm. and we are delivering that um, very early on and very consistently. So uh, just keep looking forward to hearing more of this type of stuff. When I was actually, I'm gonna. This is a little bit of a spoiler, but when I was at the uh, Frank Bill reading in Milwaukee, bumped into some people, and uh, we talked about doing some uh, collaborating with them about recording some live readings they were going to be doing. So we're opening up new avenues to recording live readings with people we haven't really collaborated with in the past. So uh, we are definitely um, expanding aggressively in that type of area. We are, which is very, very cool. So very excited we're gonna be interviewing two authors whose books we recently read which is always very cool that we can kind of uh kind of you know pick their brains a little bit about the stuff which i think is always just fascinating um and then yeah i it's their live readings and and i'm sure that within the next month or so we'll be making an announcement about books inaugural reading too that's right so yep we uh it's something we've been talking about for a while, but we don't do anything until we know it's going to be excellent. Mm-hmm. So we already have a, a tentative lineup that we're working on. We're just trying to pin down a date where everybody can be in the Chicagoland area for this. Um, just really excited. So much good stuff going on, man. Yeah. Books blowing up. They're blowing up. Like Bigfoots. We're blowing like up like Bigfoots. Bigfoots. So. <laughs> All right, so uh, next you'll be hearing from us will be an interview. Not sure which one, not sure when it's coming, but uh, it'll be there sometime in the next week. Until then, I'm Livia Snedden. And I'm Rob Olson. Keep reading. I swear we've been through everything there is. Can't imagine anything we've missed. Can't imagine anything the two of us can't do through the years. You've never Turn.